Get in the cart. Right at us. The best in the business, Roger Cleveland. Can't wait to get back to Chicago in this one. This is Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast. It is the Party of Four podcast. I'm Ben Hutchison alongside Mistwood Director of Golf, Andy Michelson. What's up, Ben? Busy week for you. Yep. Busy week for you. Yeah. You played a lot of golf. Well, we had our Illinois PGA match play, which is one of our few majors. I think it's one of our three majors um, for the year. A nice little run and uh, seven rounds of golf in four days and... I uh, got to the championship match, made a few mistakes, but faced a pretty darn good player and got beat. So second place, I'm happy with it. It's fine. It's a good week. Um, won the tournament at the start of the week and then got into match play, and it was just, just an awesome. It's a cool experience because you don't usually get a, the tour players say this all the time too. Oh, we don't play match play enough. Uh, couldn't agree more. It's a, such a different experience. You make mistakes you wouldn't normally make if you're playing stroke play. It's just it's it's just cool and awesome host. We had uh, we were up at Bull Valley. Um, if you get the chance to play it, if you're all the way out in Woodstock ever, definitely go play it. It's it's a treat. So you say pretty good week, and you think about all the golfers that are part of this. You have your stroke play event to get to the bracket, and then you're ranked throughout the bracket, and then you play all those rounds of golf, and then it's down to the final two, mm-hmm. which is. Yeah, totally different mental game. I'm sure a different approach. Chris French from Aldean Golf Club out in Rockford. Mm-hmm. He's got some plans though coming up yeah, this week. Chris Chris is super super talented, and he uh, he got he was top twenty at the PGA that um, Frank and I were playing in a couple weeks ago. So the uh, PGA Professional Championship, which is our our biggest event on the national stage for a PGA Club Professional, and uh, Chris was fortunate enough to top twenty. I think he's one of the first guys in the last 20 years besides Mike Small in this section, and we're going to talk about Mike Small coming up later, um, that uh, made it through. So we're actually talking about Frank and I and a few others, like just dogpiling into a car on Wednesday night, maybe going to check out his first round. Oak Hill's only nine hours away. So, um, <laughs> you know, just supporting the guys, good friend, good friend to all of us. Uh, he's a fun competitor, good, good guy to be around and, uh, yeah, we're definitely thinking about going to Rudiman next Thursday. What's that like going up against someone who you could say be a friend, nice competitor, just a good person? What's that like going head-to-head in the final stages of a big tournament like that? I mean, I would rather have that than somebody that you, you kind of dislike or somebody that um, you know kind of grinds your gears a little bit. I'd rather have a more comfortable pairing where you know he's going to make birdies, he knows you're going to make birdies, and it's just going to be – kind of a crapshoot and to see what actually happens and how, how it all turns out. I'd rather have that than somebody that you're not necessarily nervous about, but somebody that you, you don't necessarily love and, and feel like you, you have to do this or you have to do that. Or um, it's just a more fun environment. I mean, to, to get the chance to, to play with your, with your peers, you want that to be fun. You don't want that to necessarily be some animosity there. Um, and very rarely does that actually happen. I mean, we're all club professionals. And we're not under the delusion that we're playing on tour. So um, there's always yeah. that one guy, though. That there's, there's always, yeah, be. there's always there's always one or two. But <laughs> you know, who knows? And you know, down the road for us, like 
in this profession, sometimes you need favors. You know, I need that foursome to go out on this guy's golf course maybe a month from now. You know, it's like the trade currency of favors. You don't want to fall out of favor with people. So, but uh, no, it's it's just it's such a blast and it's a good good community of guys, especially in our tournament program for the uh, Illinois PGA. I mean, there's close to 800 uh, PGA professionals in the state, but really it's probably, probably about a hundred to 200 that actively participate in tournaments. And so it's a, it's a neat little kind of uh, fraternity of, of, of guys in our section. So we're, we're always rooting for each other. And kudos to the Illinois PGA and Gary and Brad for another awesome tournament. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tournament was awesome. Uh, actually Harris golf cars uh, puts up a massive amount of money behind that event as well. So um, they need to shout out as well. Um, I think they've, put like 20 grand in the purse. So it's, that's pretty, pretty big. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's such a good event and, and Bull Valley is a perfect golf course for a tough championship golf course <laughs> with like a pedigree that, you know, you just can't just fake it around there. You have to hit really good shots in order to succeed. I didn't know what to expect when I went out there, but I was surprised by the elevation changes and the curves and the twist on the course. It was it was cool. Yeah, when you get that far north and west, like it changes. It's not it's not all Naperville and Romeoville where there's a one one foot difference in uh, in land height. I guess that's true. I mean, you go to a place like Galena or something, you're like, yeah. all right, you start seeing the differences for right. sure. Right. I mean, you're only like 15 minutes from Lake Geneva, right there. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely different. All right, bringing it back closer to Mistwood. Mm-hmm. It is feeling absolutely like golf season. And we it's 100% golf season. Yeah. I mean, we haven't had a super long stretch of nice weather without rain interrupting, but it's good to see the golfers out here on a daily basis. Yeah, we're in and we're in great condition right now too. We actually, I think we talked about it on another podcast. We we made some changes in the in the off season and the kind of the ways that we're preparing and showing the golf course a little firmer, a little faster. Um, and we've gotten some rave reviews from both the members and and guests that have been playing. Our pace of play has been good. Like, everything's good out here right now. Pace of play is good. You know, we have uh, good continuation of staff. Members are excited to be out here. We're still getting a lot of good guest play. Um, you know, things like, just little things like moving out to the grass on the on the range tee, um, lessons, fittings start to kind of ramp up. Junior golf ramps up kind of next month. It's like everything's starting to build up. I mean, we have member guests in a month, month and a half. I mean, it just seems like it's just coming. Right. So, uh, yeah, no, we're prepared and we're having fun and just good time to be, be out and, and we're getting some consistent weather too. It's going to be mid seventies to into the eighties here for the next 10 days. At least I saw in the forecast. And something we always try to pay attention to is the small details and the small little things and things that people might notice when they're out here. And one of those changes was, the way we have balls on the range. Oh yeah, yeah, the baskets. <laughs> yeah, man, you, that was something we good, did a little good, intel during the PGA show. Good, good hand props there. Loved it. Uh, yeah, so we uh, yeah we changed the presentation of some things on the range. Makes it look nicer and neater. Um, actually, easier for our staff to to be able to maintain it too. So now we're always doing little things. We always talk about that. We're we're doing little things to to make ourselves better. New GPS in the carts. Uh, which is clear, better, better defined. Actually, shows like where other carts are at, so you kind of can see in some blind spots. Just, just any little, any little quirk to to make it better. And one more thing with the range is a lot of people don't know, but a lot of people do know and take advantage of it. Is we still have Top Tracer mobile range out there. Yeah, we can't shout that enough. Not, not enough people know that. Yeah, um, that 
the same type of of you know range play that you're used to at the the dome. We have it here, and we've had it here for the last basically since COVID, I think, right? Twenty twenty ish. So we we need to do a better job marketing it. We are thanks. Um, well, just saying, and it wasn't a <laughs> shot at you, but I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I agree. We're going to do a better job marketing it, but yeah, the the fact that you can literally touch on your phone where you're hitting from anywhere on the range, and it instantly gives you data, instantly can play games, instantly can record your swing and match it up with the data uh, that you're seeing. Like that's something that you can't even get in a lesson. Uh, I mean, the technology there is is so far beyond um, anything else that I just don't understand how people are just aimlessly hitting range balls. Well, and I think for people that are the more casual golfer, it'd be kind of cool to see how far the golf ball is going. You plus, know, plus they can play games and have fun. Yeah. There's games on there. There's like that that tie into the targets that they're seeing. Yeah. So it's not like completely random. We actually have the whole whole um, driver range mapped out as well. So. Somebody's sitting there. They can hit and they can hit a targets. Actually, get point values. Play with their friends next door. There's a lot of good good applications. Well, and for the more serious golfers, they can really go home and break down their numbers if they want. Yeah, launch, which is very useful. Right, launch angles, distance, all that, like all that stuff. Ball speed, everything that you need. Like, you know, it's good to see, especially when you're hitting range balls because they're a little bit firmer. Like. If the ball speed's consistent, it means you're hitting it kind of in the same consistent area of the face. Like, just little things like that help uh, help a range session to be more valuable. Absolutely. So let's move to the main part of the episode, which is junior golf-focused. You mentioned Mike Small, University of Illinois, men's golf coach. A lot of success there. The GOAT, yeah. Yeah, I guess before you get into the interview where you do talk about, hey, his pedigree, how big is the name Mike Small in golf? Uh, it's pretty massive. Like on what, what level? I mean, I mean you could from, say in college or as a, from a playing play- professional or from back in the I day. Mean, from, he- a, from a, I mean, he, he played on tour for a little while, but you know, from a PGA professional standpoint, uh, he's probably the most accomplished PGA professional ever. He's won our section championship 14 times. I won it once. Frank won it once. Like compare <laughs> those numbers, right? Jeez. Yeah. People think that like we're in that realm. We're not. Uh, it's kind of Mike Small and everybody else as far as playing ability. Um, but no, it, just the way that I think in this in this interview we did too, it's like just the the perspective that he has about certain things is I learned a lot from that. The um, you know he's he's coaching right now. You know, two guys that are in the top twenty in the country um, right now that. You know, it's interesting. How how do you coach those guys? How do you, how do you add value? And you know, Frank and I got the opportunity to to walk with Nick Hardy at Bay Hill a couple months ago, and we've talked about that too. It was like they still call him Coach Small. They still like revere everything that he says, and and they still kind of go back to things that that they learned at, at University of Illinois. I I think just some of the some of the insights that he gave, like I I took a lot away from that. Like instead of worrying about the shots you're going to hit, think of the up and downs you're going to make and stuff like that. I was like, man, that's just, that's just wild. You're giving it all away. I'm you're sorry, giving it sorry, all sorry, away. It's just wild. I know. I'm Let's sorry. talk about it after. Here's your interview with Coach Small. All right. I'd like to uh, welcome in Mike Small, coach of uh, the University of Illinois. Appreciate uh, appreciate your time today, Mike. Andy, it's always a pleasure to help you out and to be here and to, and to spend time with you. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, you've been at, at U of I for quite a while. You want to talk about your journey from basically going from 
where you were at when you started all the way to basically a, a perennial powerhouse. Well, I appreciate that. And I'll try to make this quick. It's been 22 years since I've been here. So wow. um, fast. I lost my PJ tour card in 1998 and uh, was back on the corn ferry tour as a past champion out there in 99 and the start of 2000 and the university had asked me to come back and who are, where I had played, um, they come back and maybe build something, try to build something special. And, and I've been thinking about it and the time of my life was correct with my kids age and everything to come back and play. So I decided to take the job and see if what we could do. It meant a lot to me that I had played here, wanted to come back and build something. I had some aspirations, some goals and the AD, um, was on board with everything I wanted to do. He wanted to build something. And so when it came to facilities and scheduling and funding and my ability to still continue to play was a big part of, I think, our niche. We were trying to create something different because, you know, as well as I do, if you want to be good at something and compete, you got to have your own niche. You got to have something different, um, get people to kind of grab a hold of the new concept. And so all that came to came to play. And, and uh, 22 years ago, and, you know, we – we're last in the Big Ten my first year and the year before I got here. And then my second year, we jumped to second in the Big Ten and we were leading the national championship after one round. My second year after I brought in three freshmen, it's like, man, I kind of like this. I was hooked. You're recruiting some of the the, the better or, or best players, but are there certain gaps or inconsistencies that you see with, with kids that are coming in that you wish that they would maybe focus on or work on a little bit more in, in high school? Just hitting the golf ball and hitting it good is, I, I think, 20% of, the, of a being a champion. I think ball striking, I think so much more of it's your emotions and course management and handling the situation, controlling your own space, um, you know, like I said, picking the right shot, um, just preparing, all that, all that goes into it. Um, I, what I see college kids when they come to college, please play, play for us, we spend a lot of time on the ability to stay in the present not get so wrapped up in what they've just done or what they're going to do. I think you reach your potential if you're in the moment, which is a hard thing for kids to do. Yeah. Um, that's mentally and emotionally tied. I think golf wise, you know, little things like lag putting um, and an emphasis on certain parts of the game, ball flight control, um, you know, hitting different clubs, the same distance and um, things like that. I think add up over to over a course of a tournament where it's significant between winning and losing little things that the, the unglamorous things that kids don't know how to do very well. You know, um, you know, when you're out of position, get the ball back into position should be your number one goal. It should be to stay out of position. So there's a number of things like that. Those are just some examples. And what I touched on earlier, and I think PGA professionals being one myself, um, a proud member of the PGA of America, I think that's a huge asset, something I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes kids um, are maybe taught at an earlier age um, by people teaching them to look for instant gratification and maybe teach them a technique with short game or teach them a technique with full swing that may result in a quicker jump to success at 13 or 14. You know, maybe a chipping technique, which gets the ball in the green and rolls out consistently, but it's not the best technique to have, to evolve and grow a greater short game out of down the road. I think, I think that's a, that's a fault. And I, and I think a lot of it's the kids fault too, because they want instant gratification. Younger people are always short term oriented. They don't see the big picture that I think sometimes they, they teach an easier technique or a more streamlined approach that you might give to a beginner golfer when they're 30 or 35 to have them enjoy the game more, which I understand totally. You want people to enjoy the game and have some success, immediate gratification, success back. So they enjoy it, keep coming back and playing. But when you're a young child or or a teenager and you're learning to play the game and you have a whole career left of 
and you made the commitment to be a good tournament player and want to play in college, I think maybe you need to learn fundamentals and traits in the golf swing or in the game of golf that may not produce instant gratification, but will set you up and give you a platform and foundation that you can grow greater of three, four years down the road than being stalled out at that point in time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of the thing I'm so impressed by, like when I watch your game is is that you're just so consistent and it's the unsexy stuff is the stuff that you're, you're incredibly good at when, when we've played together, what type of things, you know, you being literally one of the, you know, best PGA playing professionals of all time, what types of things uh, are you trying to convey as far, as far as how you play to the players themselves? Um, I've always believed that you teach and learn and you practice the game from the hole backwards. I think that's important. Uh, not from the tee forwards, but I will say the tee ball is, is something of importance. You can't, you know, if you're a pitcher and you keep missing your first your first, first pitch ball, it's going to be a tough day. you got to get the ball plate one in on, on if you're playing competitive golf the ball's got to be in play so you got to get control of your driver you got to understand that you know being able to find it is, is is more important than how far it goes um but at the same point in time so you got to prepare for tournaments and prepare your game to give you the best chance to play within your personality and i believe in not giving shots away around the greens i think that's that's your insurance policy and all my players know that my how i explain that recruits know how I explain that, that your ability, you know, from the hole backwards, if, if, if you can make three, four foot putts, you've established a big part of the game, a big part of the confidence boost. If you own three and four foot putts in any situation, any kind of stress related or any kind of in greens or condition. So once you do that, then you can get out and can you give eight to 10 to 12 foot putts a legitimate chance? Are you give, are you making the hole as big as possible? And then the lag putting, like I mentioned earlier, the 30 and 40 foot putts, the best players in the world do not three do not three putt those. They do, but they don't do it very often. Right. They're very efficient, proficient in that. They don't give away shots back. And then you work your way off the green. Um, there's not just one way to chip, which I touched on earlier about. I think how kids learn. There's only one. There's a technique they learn that just produces one standard chip. They may lag the hand, you know, drag the handle, put spin on the ball, and they use one club from all over the place. Well. When you get off the greens, you got to be able to have different shots at different heights. You need to control the height, the spin, and the traje- trajectory, or to edit his height, and speed of your chips just as much as you do a full swing. So I think you need to be able to be versatile around the greens. And once you've established some proficiency around the greens, no matter how you hit it certain days, you can still compete. Because your parents, I, I say, the, I say the, you know, the kind of the – the uh, the example, your parents would never buy a house without buying homeowners insurance. So I'd say this to these kids, you know, you, you don't have a car without auto insurance because you don't plan on getting in a wreck. But in case you do, you have a backstop. Well, you don't want to hit the ball bad when you play. You don't want to hit it everywhere. You don't want to miss nine greens around. But when you do, you have to have some part of your game that is always going to be there, be your insurance policy, your backstop that will keep you in the game that day and have you shoot 72 instead of 75. So the next day you come out and shoot 67 or 8 and get back in the tournament, and it keeps you living to the next day. So I think when you prepare, understand how to play the game, and then when you go play, I just have talked to a kid today about that, and I said, you have to understand and believe me when I say this, that kids, I think, when they're younger, try to hit the ball good and maximize their ball striking potential before a tournament. I got to hit it good, I had to hit it good, I had to hit it good. And they go into the event with a, such a ball striking mentality. If you're preparing for an event 
two weeks out, I can understand hitting balls, but two and three and four days out, your mind and your focus and your and your importance and your point of emphasis should be in those shots around the green, the lag putting, the up and down, um, and, 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 and which translates to a scoring mentality than a ball striking mentality. And so the scoring, the par five birdie conversion ratio, if you're up around the green, you're proficient. Um, coupled with hitting the ball in the fairway is your best chance to achieve that scoring mentality. Not hitting a big, beautiful, striking six iron simple every time mm-hmm. because around a golf, you're going to have a simple, normal six iron maybe twice around. But you're going to have wedges. You're going to have, you know, we work on wedge pits from 50, 60, 70, 900, 100 yards every day. That's our daily vitamin. That's our daily pill. Um, that's your insurance policy. Um, and especially leading up to a tournament, your mindset has to be dreaming and thinking and visualizing how to score around the greens more than hitting that perfect six iron or five iron. I think that's awesome. where kids that's young awesome. age get messed up because when you get on that first tee, um, all heck breaks loose. If you've been putting an emphasis on ball striking and it's not there, mm-hmm. if you put an emphasis on short game and chipping and pitching and um, your ball striking could still be there, but if it's not, you got to have that insurance policy. So do you feel like your primary role is basically, you know, from what I'm hearing is, is your primary role just basically raising their golf IQ as much as possible? I, we do that. Yes. Yes. I think the biggest thing at our program, and I think good programs say the same thing is you got to learn at an earlier age, the earlier you learn and the earlier you believe in what I'm saying is the best is that you have to know what good golf is and know what bad golf is. And you have to know the difference. Some days you could score good to realize it wasn't your best and you're on borrowed time. You oh, yeah. need to make adjustment. Even as you play good golf, a game of adjustments. And when you're playing bad, you have to realize what was bad about it. And you, and you know this because you're a very, very good player, that you're, you're, you're only as good as your bad days. And, and yeah, I don't judge how good I am based on my days. I shoot 63. I, I, I gauge how good I am on days where I play poorly. 70, like yeah. 60 or 70. And that's what these kids have to understand. And that's my biggest job is to explain to them the scoring mentality. Uh, score is everything in the game of golf. People talk about, well, let's not think about score. Sure, you stay in the moment, like I mentioned earlier, in the present tense. But in the back of your mind, score is what determines your future. So you have to understand what goes into, as a coach, teach these kids what goes into the preparation, practice, um, importance, what's going to translate to that last score as much as possible. And a mindset is huge. And we do teach them how to play the game. But also, I believe, as freshmen, we spend the first semester because when a freshman comes into our program, I do not um, start overhauling the game right away and talking about the game. I sit back and watch and learn sure. because I've done something good to become part of this program. Why would I change that right away? I'm not a possessive coach that says do it my way or the highway. That's not what I'm about. I want to learn how they think, how they process things. But then I also learn how they lead their life and how they handle things away from the golf course. Because if you're patient and you handle attention to detail at home and in class and you're respectful and you're resilient and you're tough in the real world, you're going to be tough in golf too. You can't, you can't differentiate the two. So I think as a, as a college coach, I'm more of a life coach. The first, really the first freshman year that I am anything else. And their golf tends to improve and, and quicker when they get on the same page with me in life and as they do golf. Couldn't agree more. I mean, once you lock in kind of that first semester of being in college, it's like then everything after that seems normal. But that first six months is absolute chaos. Oh, let alone going, going to school an hour from home is hard enough. You're away from home. But try doing that 
you know, six time zones or 10 time zones. And, and it's tough. Um, and, and I think all you do the same thing. You care about them, you be there for them, but they still have to do it. We can't, we got to lead them down the right path and kind of tweak them and, and, and uh, divert them a little bit, but they have to have the ability to learn. How do, how do players get on your radar for um, recruiting purposes? I think every coach probably does it the same way. The world now, when it comes to co- junior golf, is a much smaller place than it used to be because of the internet and you can follow scores. Um, I think from our success for a better part of 20 years, they search us out. A lot of them do. Yeah. Um, we have to screen a lot more players than normal. Uh, the bad thing about coaching is obviously is telling people no, telling people that we don't have room because you only need two or three players a year at most. and You're getting hundreds of things. And I, I feel bad about that. But you know, you can't take them all. And that's just kind of the, what the life is all about, but you got to, got to work through that. Um, um, the really good ones, the top ones don't really reach out to anybody. You got to go find them and they want to be catered to, and they want to be that you got to go get infused into that. And, and you got to fight for people. You got to fight for, 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 for your team and you got to fight for their future. They don't know you're fighting for their future until you get to know them. And I think once, they realize that you're a coach who cares about their future just as much as the future of Illinois. I mean, we're not, we're not rent a player. You where you come in and use your score for four years and get away. That's not what we're all about. I think when they see that and they learn about that, that I'm fighting for their future just as much as our team's results. um, Then I think it opens up a whole new world that they want to explore. And then, and then you're in there and then obviously you're competing against other top schools in the country and you can't get them all. And we've lost a lot more recruits than we've ever gotten. And that's just everything. I think everybody can say that. Um, and it's, 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 you find the ones that are good, the ones that don't have their records. I mean, a lot of kids are really good. that don't have records. And that's so we've kind of taken a lot of pride in finding too, is that um, we find the kids that fit with us emotionally and, and um, desire wise that may not have records, but have potential. And the ones who, getting back to what I said earlier again, is it had been taught a certain way where there's a huge still room for improvement, room for growth to where their momentum is moving, is moving big. And I think in golf at any level, the momentum of growth is a powerful thing. When that momentum stops, if a kid's not mature enough or has the right support staff at home or with his instructor, the momentum stops, it's hard to gain traction again. It really is. But the ones that have momentum, if you can grab them and, and, and and um and keep that momentum going that's how we've built you know first team all americans we've had six or seven first team all americans and a couple of those guys weren't really that highly recruited i mean dylan meyer comes to fact comes mm-hmm. to he went to number two amateur in the world when he played for us um because he just drank the kool-aid and trusted in us and and uh wanted it bad enough and uh and, and just jumped on board but he had momentum because you know with with your background too playing how do you, this is kind of a bonus question, but how do you continue that momentum even when they're, they're gone? You mean from here, from Illinois? Yeah, from like, from Illinois. I mean, well, you know, a lot that, of guys go on to try and play professionally. That'd be a are, question. Are successful. That'd be a question for those guys. I mean, we have, you know, Michael Figos is my most recent graduate. You know, he finished seventh on PGA tour U and got on the corn ferry tour and he's, he's, he's doing well, but see people got to realize a professional golf career is like 30, 35 years long. It's not like, right. And it can be. It's not like a, an NFL career that's three years or five years or whatever. It's it's a long, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I think the biggest thing our guys would tell you is that the structure that we that we have them under here 
and the motivation and the, the, the way that we help them grow, eventually they have to take ownership for it. Yeah. And when kids graduate, um, coming from a program where they've had improvement, I think for the first year or two, they're out, they continue that because they're still in that mindset. But you know, as well as I do, life is about who you surround yourself with and who you choose to hang out with and the attitudes and the mindsets and the, excuse me, and the, um, just the atmosphere around you. When you're a professional, uh, you're getting inundated and hit from a lot of different areas, a lot of different people. The, 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 the nature of the sport is inherently negative. You're losing a lot more than you're winning. It's, and a lot of these guys lose structure. They lose, like Thomas Peters one year flew me over to uh, Dubai at the start of the season because he says, Coach, he says, I got yes people all around me. He had already been, he'd already won a couple of <laughs> times. Yeah. He's uh, top 50 in the world. But he says, everybody, nobody's telling me what to do. And I need somebody, I need some structure. And nobody's telling me when I need to work out. I got to do it all myself and I can't, I can't do it right now. I need, so he flew me, I flew over and spent a week with him and it was great. And he ended up finishing, I think third behind Rory McIlroy and Mark Keimer. This is maybe six or seven years, but he just needed that. And I watched his practice habits and he'd go up on the putting green and he'd do a, he'd just putt, but he wouldn't putt with a purpose and nobody would be there to help him do it. And he started talking to guys like we all do. We all do it because that's, that's the nature of the sport. The ones that continue to grow and, and improve like you're talking about have a lot of self-discipline or have people around them that can see what they're not doing, offer the advice and, the, and, and then they respond. So I think Thomas is, you know, he's still top 30. Now he's top 35 in the world. He's won six times in Europe. He's figured that out at that time in his life. He needed me, but now he's got to figure it out where he's got a routine. The people around him are, are more giving more input and there's more trust. And I think he's having success. So I think a lot of these kids, when they get out, have to figure out how do I get, my golf game, my time, my development to benefit me now because I'm out of college. I'm not with six other guys to motivate me. I'm not with six other guys and a coach to push me. I have to do it myself. And, uh, you know, we can make a kid go out and practice in 40 degree weather and practice for two hours in some rain, but do they really want to do it themselves mm-hmm. and find out about how bad you want it? Well, that's a great segue. I guess without giving away any kind of trade secrets, what are some of the things – like in a basic practice that you guys are working on or, or what are some of the practice goals that you set for the guys? Well, in our program, a lot of programs don't have practices. They just treat it as an individual deal and they all do their own thing. I don't believe in that. I believe we always get together and we always have a team practice for two, three or four hours, whatever we're allowed in our, in our number of hours we're allowed to practice. Um, so we're all there together, but very rarely we do, do we do the same thing every day. Um, it is a team sport in college, but it's an individual sport they're playing. So why would I have a kid who's having trouble driving and another kid who's having trouble putting it? Why would I have them all hit ball flight shots? You know, so they have to, I have to teach them how to correctly evaluate their game, which goes back to what I do and try to teach them what is good golf and what is bad golf. Um, they have to understand what good golf is and how to evaluate the game. Then a lot of times we'll break up, we'll do individual stuff and I'll roam and spend a few minutes with each kid. If a kid's doing fine, I won't, it won't spend time with them. I mean, I'm not going to mess up something that's going good. Um, and other times I will spend more time with some other people. Um, some days we'll do that. Some days we'll do qualifying. Some days we'll do lots of drills, mandatory drills that when on the days that I have them do certain drills there are days that I do the drills that they don't normally don't do themselves. Um, because these kids don't, you know, a lot of kids are young. They don't think about it. And so I will make them, you know, do ball flight drills or do, um, practice buried bunker shots or 40 yard bunker shots or something they wouldn't think about doing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Um, and so that kind of reminds them, okay, oh, I, I coach is telling me in a roundabout way, I got to do this more. Um, other times we do competitions, which is a big deal. We're very competitive. I think every day we always do some kind of competition, whether it's individually between themselves and what they're doing. I mean, individually, or I'll get groups together and play a Ryder cup or some one-on-one stuff. But, um, if you're a competitive person in our program, you, you love it here, you like it here. Um, and you, you like to be challenged every day. Um, and sometimes you're embarrassed and sometimes you're going home thinking, man, that was a bad day. And other days you're going home and feeling a sense of accomplishment that you kick some people's butts for three hours. So I guess I learned a long time ago, 19 and 20 year old men get bored very easily. And we're always, Hey, we have, we all have ADD, <laughs> most of us. So if they know what's coming next and they know it, Oh, same practice every day from coach. I don't think they come with the enthusiasm that if they come every day thinking, I don't know what's going to happen next. We could have a spot qualifier today. Coach could have us doing driving some drills he could <clears throat> he could be on the putting green you know competing for laps or competing for certain punishments or i mean you know workout things or mm-hmm. rewards or whatever i think that's a healthy way to do a men's program is that is keep them on their toes and i think they appreciate that mike i uh, i can't thank you enough this is uh, valuable stuff and uh, really appreciate it and and good luck uh the rest of the way andy you're welcome and call anytime and again i kind of got going there but there's a lot of stuff we still oh it's awesome it's awesome man. that's why i just wanted to i kind of wanted to just throw bird seed in there and let you peck <laughs> at it so it was great well i mean again we're just here you do what you do to help people enjoy the game number one but also if they want to be competitive and play well get their scores down and i want them to come in here and enjoy their game enjoy college enjoy school enjoy their time in their life but if they want to win they're in the right place and so whatever we do we try to inspire and motivate their desire to compete and see how good they can be. And if they're really curious how good they can be and they're willing to take a step back to go too forward, they're in the right place. A lot of places don't, a lot of kids don't want to take a step back. They don't want to uh, run the risk of not being good for three weeks because they want to play right now. I understand that, but this is a marathon, not a sprint. And you have to, you have to be vulnerable and let yourself, be good when you're uncomfortable and learn to play good and, and, and improve. And that's kind of what we try to do. All right, Andy, unpacking all of that, the mental part, the physical part, what is your biggest takeaway? Yeah, I, I, it's just the depth, right? It's it's the depth, the fact that he coaches some great players and knows exactly, he kind of parses them out on, on how he's going to coach them, right? I think he says somewhere in there where the – the type of player that's going to play at the University of Illinois is going to be a stud. So they were a stud coming in, so let them be a stud in their first year, kind of figure, figure things out. Like I know in college, that's tough, man. That, that's like the, the first semester or like the first year, you're just trying to figure out life. You're figuring out how to live on your own and all the other stuff. So you don't need a coach like in your ear constantly badgering you on what you need to do. So he kind of like stays back, lets them be for the first year, and then – starts to really kind of add some nuggets on as they're more comfortable coaching them. But everybody that comes out of the University of Illinois, A, has so much respect for him, and then B, becomes a better player. Like, I haven't seen anybody not become a better player uh, being in that program. And and the the fact that, you know, he would even admit, like, they should probably have won maybe a few national championships and they, they have, they come up short a little bit. I think this year might be the year that team is sneaky good. And when I say sneaky, I think they're ranked now second in the country. <laughs> Hard to be sneaky. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't start. I yeah. don't think they started top 25 the start yeah. of the year. So 
Uh, they're doing something right. They're they're really feeding off of each other. They've got a I think they got a freshman or sophomore that shot sixty or sixty two in a tournament recently. I mean, crazy. It's pretty good. Tough golf courses, right? So, um, and the cool thing too about about that program is you have a coach that is a former tour player that knows the kids that are coming to his program, their dream is to play on tour. You know, so he knows the roadmap. He knows the steps in order to get there, you know, and, and frankly, he still competes with them. And I think that's a very valuable thing to have somebody like that. I get something when I compete against coach small, I'm 42 years. I'm going to be 42 years old here. Like I, I, I've been playing for 30 years. I still get something when I, when I watch him play and compete. So I think it's a very valuable tool too to, to see your coach competing against you and also can learn valuable nuggets by, by having your coach be still competitive in his own game. Yeah, there were a couple parts that stood out to me and it, you kind of mentioned the one where you become a college student and then you have to go figure out how to live college student life. And he's saying you get international students in there trying to figure out what the United States is like for the first right. six months and everything else. So there's that aspect. And then as far as being a junior golfer, he talked about recruiting and things like that and how do you do it and how do you go about it. And obviously now with more technology, you have, you know, scores to look at, you have videos to look at. And then there's just the part where it's like, Hey, I have to tell why I'm going to be the best coach for you and your development. And he's thinking past college as well. Yeah. I mean, they're, (laughs) they're in a spot too, where, where other schools are actually recruiting players or having to go out and find players. He has a plethora of players that are sitting in his bin, basically that he's, he can choose from, right? So they're they're in a little different fortunate spot, but they're also in a greater pressure pack spot to be able be making the right picks. I'm not going to name names, but I know he's made a few bummer picks over the last 20 years that he he's kicking himself about. Maybe he took influence or um, you know advice from from people he shouldn't or or whatever, but. Um, I do know there's a lot of a lot of pressure with that, and so like, you know, you, you got to kind of go with your instincts, go with your gut, and I, he's, I think also adding adding to the value of being still competitive in his own right and, and focus on play. He can look for little nuggets to be able to make quick decisions on on players. If you have three, four, five hundred players that you're looking at, you know, the junior golf scoreboard kids that are you know top probably for him probably top hundred, two hundred. Those are tough picks, and you know if you're not, if you get one wrong, then actually your competitors are are becoming better. So it's definitely a tough tough part of the job, and a little bit different from other programs. Question I have for you off of that, comparing it to something like maybe college football, which we don't have a lot of experience with. I know you have some family members tied to college football, but with recruiting, he could get all these great golfers. Football could get all these great football players. There's a lot more really good football schools I feel like in general how does that compare to golf you know because they if Nick Saban's out there and he's like hey come to my school you know Mm -hmm. compared to other people Mike Small doesn't necessarily have to be out there the same way I mean he could be he seems like the kind of guy that would be very hands-on and would do it no matter what but like you said you get all these resumes in essence resumes and it's like I don't know okay pick the right all-star yeah he's he's traveling they're traveling the the coaches I know in the offseason they're they're out out watching players but you're right. It's probably not as um, probably not as cutthroat. Uh, I I do know that NAL stuff is actually creeping into golf. Um, totally so that, is. Yeah. So that makes that makes things a little more interesting. I I know like 
I know one of the kids that played at Alabama that got some money. Um, so that was um, that's unique and different for the for the golf space for a non revenue sport uh, to to be doing that. So maybe there's some opportunity there. But um, I'll tell you what, if my son's good enough, I'm I'm gonna bust my butt to try and get him play for Mike Small. Hey Mike, I don't think he will be. I but, got someone. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, there's 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 kids that that you miss on, right? But then there's but he's he's more often right than not. So I mean, yeah. they've they've done a pretty darn good job. And then I think the toughest thing with coaching, and this is just coaching in general. My brother-in-law talks about it being a football coach. Like you do your best to prepare them in the best way possible, and that's like their complete life, right? Like coaching them in every aspect, not only on the field, off the field. But you have to just step back and trust that you've done everything right. As a co- that's got to be impossible. Like yeah. you literally, you're you're full delegation. You're completely hands off. You guys got to go perform on the golf course. And that's got to be impossible. It's got to be so hard as a coach. I can't even imagine that um, and being comfortable with that. So yeah, it has to almost further speak to the the fact of what you're doing from a preparation standpoint it has to be just completely spot on. Yeah, the pressure with scholarships and all right, high skill, high character. Is it all going to mesh when they get here as an 18-year-old and they have that freedom for the first time? Yeah. And that's your investment at that point. Well, so. speak, speaking of, like, high character, I, I mean, I was fortunate enough to play with with Tommy Cool when he was, like, a, I think it was 12 or 13. Oh, yeah, that story. Just a ran, yeah, just a random, like, <laughs> occurrence, right? Um, and I talked about, like, playing with Nick Hardy, or Nick Hardy in the past, like, when he was, like, 15 or 16 years old two guys that are just super high class. Tommy cool is now basically got celebrity status for shooting 62 on a golf course that I've played many times. I don't see 62. That's, that's <laughs> ungodly good, but he repaired some, um, aeration hole marks that could have easily been, uh, thought of as pitch marks, you know, just being totally honest Went after the fact, after he already completed his round and he qualified, if the USGA was cool at all, which they're usually not, but if they were cool at all, they would just give an exemption and you're good. Yeah. Um, I hope they do, but they're they're usually not that cool. Um, <laughs> they want they they just don't like being cool. I guess I don't. I don't shout out not having them on the show. Shout out not being cool. Yeah. Um, but that's total class. Like to to call yourself out to not like, you know, Tom Tommy was here. I remember uh, for the state am. Yeah. That dude was like, just having the time of his life, just having fun. I know he didn't have the best week. Uh, ever, but um, just has right right mentality, and and that that goes back to the coach recruiting the right players, and then when they are there, just making them even better men than they than they came in. Yep. So thanks again to Mike Small for taking that time to do that. Yeah, he didn't have to do that. That was that was huge. It was awesome. Um, I texted him, and literally right away, he got right back to me and goes, "Hey, man, what do you, what do you need? You let me know, and and I'll hop on for a half hour." I was like. It's awesome. And how fitting. You guys are co-champions of this week's event. He's better than me. He's better than me. You <laughs> well, know what I didn't know? You both shot amazing <laughs> golf on a terrible weather day, too, though. So that's so pretty impressive. So I was looking at the wrong leaderboard. Actually, this is a funny story, because I was looking at the wrong leaderboard. There's one leaderboard for people that are qualifying for match play, which was me and my group. And then there's people that are just playing the stroke play, which so it was a, an event that was placing guys into the match play. Well, 
Mike could only play one day because of, you know, his preparation for his, his golf team. So he, he came up and played. And so shoot 69. I'm like, yeah, all right, man. I just, just dirt nap the field by three shots. I'm good and all set. And then, like, I already leave and everything, and I'm, like, kind of thumbing through the <laughs> thumbing through the leaderboard, and I'm like, wait, hold on. So I hit the drop down that says stroke play, and it says Andy, Mike Small. I'm like, damn it. Oh, man, I thought I had one. Stroke <laughs> I had play one, main. This I guy, man, this, yeah, he's he's just so good. So any anytime you, anytime you tie Mike Small, you feel very fortunate. Um, Frank and I still talk about <laughs> talk about all the time when we're we're all tied i think going into the back nine of the um illinois pga section championship in 2021 at medina yep i was there yep we're all tied going to the back nine and then small's like yeah screw these guys and just boat raced us completely i think we lost by four shots ended up tying each other and i think mike shot 12 or 13 and frank and i limped in at like eight or nine under but uh, just some of the shots that he hit were like, you know, Frank and I are trying to win. At the time, I was trying to win my first. Frank was trying to win his second. And Mike was trying to win his 14th, right? So the shots he was choosing to hit didn't didn't matter. I remember him, like, dangling this uh, driver and hitting this high cut, like, basically over the out-of-bounds and into, like, 20 feet on the green. And, like, Frank and I are both looking at each other like, we wouldn't try that. We wouldn't even think about trying that. But yeah. Somebody with that much confidence, it's just just something to learn from. Yeah, I felt the same way watching it all happen. <laughs> <laughs> I was all like going into it. I'm like, well, we got two out of three chances here. <laughs> then, One of them's going to win. Then by about the 12th, you're like, no. <laughs> I think that was my first don't, introduction don't beat to. Each other up for a second. <laughs> I think that was my first in person introduction to Mike Small as well. And I was like, man, he's so consistent. Wow, he's pretty good. This is going to be tough. But no, that's cool. Lots of fun memories. If I, you know, as a as a golfer, they always talk about like what's somebody that you would want to hit like a ten footer for your life. He'd be on my short list. That dude putts it so good from ten feet and in, and his short game is ridiculous. And that's like, you know, he's he's getting up there. He's probably pretty pretty close to sixty. But at this point, he still kills us all. And. Uh, He's got just those elements. He's always, you could tell he's, <clears throat> his short game is still really tight. So he's definitely working on his putting and chipping, still on a, a fairly constant basis. One of those things that you don't need that much space. Putting green, you know, the golf course, don't need that much space to make sure that your short game and putting is sharp. You don't need to hit balls every every day. You know, keeping those things sharp is what's going to sustain good play for a while. Absolutely. So let's finish up. Don't have to do odds or anything like that, but do you have any picks for the PGA Championship? Ooh. It's kind of just jumping okay. this on you. So. Ooh. Elevated greens, tight fairways, not too long, 7,200 probably. They're, they, It's not a very long golf course. They'll have to play it pretty tight. Um, God, I want to pick him, but he hasn't – really done much. Xander Shoffley would be a great pick, I think. Still waiting for him to finish <laughs> strong in one of these. Yeah, he'd be man, he'd be a great pick. Kind of like kind of like Jordan Speeth a little bit. But I don't think I don't know if he drives it straight enough. Like this is going to be old old traditional golf. This is 
tree line, bowling alleys, high rough. I'd hit every tree. Elevated greens. This is going to be a guy that stripes it down the middle. Like good, solid, accurate driver of the golf ball. I like Shoffley a lot, but John Rahm will probably win. <laughs> I'm going to go John Rahm just to the fact that I want to see a grand slam, like a grand slam outside the Tiger Slam. You know who's been playing some good golf that hadn't for the last couple of years? Jason Day. Um, not to say he would win something like this, but like he's been playing. It's like it's like Ricky. Ricky's been climbing. Like you know, people like that. It's just fun to see that guys that have kind of been yeah. on the sidelines and they're playing better golf. It's kind of a shame, like because they're playing TPC Craig Ranch, which is just you've been there. It's I've been there. I think it's an easy golf course myself. So like these right guys, now, this is for the Byron Nelson. Yes, Byron Nelson. These guys are shooting zero right now. Sixty four, sixty four by Scheffler, and he, he yep. missed some shots. Um, so it's hard to pick against Scotty because high high elevated green. Scotty does drive it pretty straight with all that goofy footwork. Still hits it pretty straight. So Scotty's still a good pick. I really like John Rahm though. Really like John Rahm, but Xander Shoffley should be in the mix. Drives it so freaking straight. What about Tony Fino as far as driving uh, the ball? No, he drives it great. I don't know. There's something to he's not He's consistent. He's not in that tier though. He's not in that he's not in that group of dogs. No. Yeah. Like he's not he's not one of those big dogs. He's not one of those top ten guys that I just go, Yeah, he's gonna do it. Justin Thomas needs to like get his act together. Yeah. That dude is really playing bad. Like yeah. so maybe something something from him. Actually ironically, I don't think I don't think he's in the field, but <laughs> this would be a good course for Patrick Reed. <laughs> Says he's in the field. Oh, he's in the field? Yep. Oh. Patrick Reed is in the field. The All Woodlands, right, not, Texas. Alright, I'm not picking him, but I'm just saying it's a it's a type of course that could be good for him. Uh Patrick Reed had a ver- has a very similar <laughs> ball flight to the past champion in two thousand three. Can you name that past champion without looking? No. Sean McKeel. Yeah, I was never going to get that. His one and only tour win, I believe. Yes, Sean McKeel. It's a good one to win. 2003 PGA Championship. All right, we'll see how it plays out, and we'll have to get back in here. It will be interesting. And we'll talk about it. Promise we will. I'm excited. Shout out to Germany and our friends listening over there. Hello. There you go. Friends of Germany, hope you're well. Summer is here. Let's do this. We will see all of you next time. Get in the cart. Right at us. The best in the business, Roger Cleveland. Can't wait to get back to Chicago in this one. This is Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast.